You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, another Ron Rivera edition, but there's much more. I checked in with my ESPN counterpart in Denver, Jeff Legwald, for intel on Jack Del Rio. He covered Del Rio when he was the defensive coordinator for the Broncos. Good stuff there. Then, another ESPN colleague, Jason Reed, and I discussed why Rivera might have more power than any previous Redskins coach, under Dan Snyder. Finally, I close it out with my thoughts, expanding more on why this might be the right time for things to truly change and what this means for quarterback Dwayne Haskins. But first, my conversation with Jeff Legwald. Now I'm joined by ESPN's Jeff Legwald. I wanted to talk to Jeff because he, he was there in Denver when Jack Del Rio was a defensive coordinator. So Jeff, First, thanks for coming on. What what do you recall about um, Del Rio's tenure as a DC in Denver? Well, John, I think when when Dennis Allen left uh, after one year, uh, John Fox was in a position where uh, he wanted a veteran voice because the team was still kind of digging its way out of of the mess of 2010. They finished four and 12. Uh, they have Spygate. Uh, Josh McDaniels gets fired. And it was very important for the team to sort of have this veteran presence, you know, some adults in the room, as it were. And uh, Fox met with Del Rio at the senior bowl almost as soon as Dennis Allen left. And they, they came to an agreement really quickly and and jack had a good run here even did you know he's the interim head coach when uh one season when fox had heart trouble and missed missed a few games uh del rio coached what was a playoff team with peyton manning at quarterback right so he earned a lot of an awful lot of good marks from people in the organization here just about how he approached things how he ran the team because you know, I was a team with aspirations. They were right. they were not that was not an easy thing to do. And it was it was really seamless. And the players liked playing for him. He was very honest with them. Uh I can I can recall vividly, uh Bradley Roby was a rookie at the time, but Del Rio essentially told Roby, You're not good enough to play right now, and, and I'm not putting you on the field until you are. And oh. Roby has always said it was an important part of his sort of indoctrination that the NFL and that, you know, Del Rio didn't yell at him. He didn't treat him with disrespect. He just looked him in the eye. And, and Roby always said, you know, he was right. And eventually Bradley Roby was just one of many players who had a good run here, but they liked playing for him. I think at times they had hoped he would be a little more aggressive 
but I think people got to remember what team that was. That's that's a Von Miller team, Aqib Tlaib at corner, Chris Harris at corner. I mean, that was a, a, a veteran defense that wanted to play up-tempo. And at the time, I think Jack was kind of protecting a defensive line that may not have been ready for that. But uh, people liked him a lot here, and he had a good run. And, and with, with I was going to ask you about the style of defense and, and just how he what his approach was from that standpoint. Because I know it's a, they're going to play a 4-3 here for the first time in, in a decade. Um, and if I right, he runs more of a two-gap system. So how would you describe his style as a coordinator? I think you're right. I mean, I, I think he will initially look at a two-gap look, but a lot of that's going to depend on the interior of the defensive line. You know, he, he's got to have those middle two uh, and like where they are as players to really, to really play that way. And, and his, most of the time he'd like four- and five-man pressures if, if he can. But, again, a lot of that's going to be up to who's on hand and what they can do. But he's very good at, at sort of, you know, he's been around a long time. He understands offenses. And I, and I think, at, at least schematically, I, th- I think Jack is a little more open to variety than people think. He just sort of, he, do- he doesn't sort of announce it, that, yeah, we're going to use a lot of things. But I, I think he's willing to play to his personnel. But if he has those middle two in the defensive line, ultimately that'll get him a lot closer to where he wants to be and they have those the guys here is Deron Payne Jonathan Allen Matt you know exactly. I, I, and he I, loves those kind of guys he yeah. loves the guys as far as like because here's the other thing too the big question here is you have a couple outside linebackers um in Montez Sweat Ryan Kerrigan both obviously Kerrigan still under contract what kind of ends would he use there? Would he? Because I know sometimes that four three, you're going to have a bigger left end and the and the speed pass rusher on the right side. He's willing to play a little smaller at the at the left end if it's the right guy. He got, he's if he can hold the edge, he'll play him. Okay. In the past, he's had a lot of times he's had the you know the the prototype speed guy uh, on the defensive right and then a little thicker end uh, on the defensive left. But he, he will play a, a more of a speed guy if the guy can hold on early downs. He, it, it, you know, he doesn't make it simply a, a kind of fit the mold kind of guy. He will play a guy out there who can speed rush if, if he can do his part in the run game. And he, he, he will want a linebacker who, who can fill. You know, if you're going to play a two-gap, you know, the – that middle guy in the at linebackers got right. to crack people in in the run game. Was there a prototype for his kind of middle linebacker? Well, you know, he's like everybody. You would like the biggest guy possible with speed, you know. So those are hard to find now because college football, you know, everybody's playing two hundred and twenty-five pound linebackers. Right. But he'll want somebody with some with some sturdiness to his game, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this huge guy, but you know, if you are going to play two gap that uh, those inside guys got to be able to fill and, and make tackles. And because the, and the, the guy here I'm looking at for that role might be Cole Holcomb. I mean, it just yeah. with guys, he had a good guys year. rusher now and he's about 240 pounds. Yeah. And, and I watched him for our rookie. I, I was, 
I was one of the folks who did our rookie rankings this year. Right. And I, I looked at him a bunch and he, you know, really toward the end of the year, I really thought that, that guy was kind of a tackling machine at the end of the year. So yeah, that's, he's a player that fits and he's a young guy and he, he looks to have a, a good awareness about him. Another guy that, listen, they have the number two pick and you people who are listening should know that Jeff is a terrific draft expert and he's going to do his top 100 that comes out shortly before the draft that is must read. So he, he, he puts exhaustive research into this. So Chase Young, I mean, do you think there's any way now with Del Rio and Rivera in charge that they somehow don't take Chase Young at number two? Well, uh, I will say, you know, he wasn't here when they drafted Von Miller. Right. But he certainly benefited from Von Miller. And Von Miller was the number two pick of the 2011 draft right after Cam Newton. So uh, I think he understands what an edge rusher can mean, uh, especially an elite one. And, and Chase Young is an elite rusher. Now, I don't think he had sort of the Gumby traits that I saw in Miller coming out, but he, he's a different kind of player. He, he really is explosive. And I think, honestly, if he can somehow improve his handwork, you know, and get it to the level of a, of a Nick Bosa, right. say, early on, he, he will be he, – he will have a spectacular, you know, rookie year and, and a really, really, really good career. But he – you know, I, I'm not finished with everybody yet. Right. It's, we're talking early January here. Yeah. He's unbelievable. There, there is so much to work with there, you know, and I, I think even at times Ohio State didn't really use him to the – fullest of his capabilities so I, I think Jack and Ron would certainly know what to do with a player like that it, it'll be it'd be hard to pass on that guy now some of your uh more hardcore analytics folks will tell you ultimately coverage is a bigger factor in defensive play than than pass rush right but I, I think in terms of of specific downs and impact and potential turnovers, I, I think pass rush is still one of the foundation positions in the league. And I, I still think that even in these offensive times, the, the teams that take care not to ignore defense and to really be strong on that side of the ball and not tip your salary cap too far to the offense, I think ultimately are better over the long haul. And, and I, yeah, and I agree with that. And the, that's the interesting part. And we're going to get into draft stuff later, but they could trade down a couple spots and still get, if they wanted Jeffrey Okuda, a top corner from Ohio State. But I do agree with you on Chase Young at Ohio State sometimes because, like, he would create some problems when he would rush inside. They just didn't rush him inside. And not just for him, but for others. They didn't do it enough in my liking. But, you know, how, did, how would – and we saw with Von Miller, they used him all over the place, right? Yeah, and actually when Vaughn came, it was even a far more traditional outside linebacker role. You know, he would drop into coverage at times, but uh, Jack was, you know, Vaughn had a good rookie year, but, but Jack really kind of turned him loose uh, in terms of, you know, putting him in positions on specific plays where he could just impact everything that happened, so. I think Jack was an important part of Vaughn's development. And, I, you know, 
I had known Jack for a little while and, and he really wanted to get back in it. And I think the fact that Ron has given them, you know, this opportunity, I think they'll get the best of, of Del Rio in this, but again, you know, it, you know, the challenge for guys like Jack and, and Wade Phillips and, and, you know, a lot of other guys is they know what they're doing. They know the game. They know personnel. They know a lot. They know a ton. But it's a different NFL these days than right. sometimes when they've been at their best. So their their challenge is to adapt some. And that, you know, Jack even, you know, he wasn't out that long, but he's still facing a different kind of offensive football being played right now. And ultimately that will be his challenge, but I think he's been pretty good at adapting over the years, uh, especially when he's just had to worry about the defense and not be the head coach. You know, it's funny because it, it, you're right. It's only been a few years for him, but in that time, like the, the jet action, people have used that before, but it's become so dominant. The RPO is a lot more. So there's just a lot more things to worry about. But I also wonder too, like he went to speak at that MIT, or he's part of a panel, the MIT Sloan Analytic Conference years ago. Is that something, have you, did you ever talk to him about analytics? Is that something that was ever, I think you, I don't think he was there to talk about analytics, but it was part of a panel, but is that something you ever talked to him about that was that ever a part of how he viewed things or what he used to, to gain knowledge? I always felt like he, he was far more willing you know, he, he has a reputation for sort of being stodgy and, and just kind of, you know, I guess, you know, uh, you know, iron willed kind of a thing, you know, maybe a, a bit stubborn, but you know, some of that is his playing career manifesting itself and how he, he sort of has been a coach, but I think he has been open uh, to analytics and, and sort of understanding that, if you're going to defend offenses the way you would have in, in 1999, you're asking for trouble. Right. I mean, if you're going to defend offenses the way you would did in 2010, you're asking for trouble. So I think he understands that. And to me, that's the biggest step of all for coaches is to, uh, you know, they're always talking about players getting out of their comfort zone. But if you have a coach that won't get out of his comfort zone, uh, you're not going to have a coach uh, who's going to ultimately be able to succeed. You know, I think, you know, here, I think that is one of Vic Fangio's strengths in Denver is he's a 61-year-old head coach who's been a defensive coordinator in the league for three decades, yet he may be the most sort of willing to adapt uh, of almost any defensive coach I've ever been around. Wow. So. It's, it's a powerful thing that to sort of, un, to, for me, to, I, I think it's a powerful thing for coaches to say, I believe in these things, but I have to adjust for what I'm seeing. And, and I think Jack will do that. And I think being out of the league a bit gives you a little more of that 10,000 foot view. You're not so, you don't have the blinders on so much. You, you've, you've been able to look at other people and how they do things because you're not just prepping for the next game. And, and I agree with that. And I think in any, in any sport at any level that I've covered, it's the guys who are willing to adapt um, seem to have, you may have a little, a couple of values, but you're going to have a lot more peaks along the way. Last thing is since you 
since, as you talked about the rookie, you know, the rookie picks and studying that all year and, and the rookie rankings, how did you view Dwayne Haskins at the end of the year? I, I thought he was much better at the end of the year. I think, uh, and this is just, you know, I didn't see every snap, but I looked at a bunch and, you know, I had Haskins as the top quarterback on the board in April. I really liked his game and I, and I think it's been undervalued uh, as people approach the draft. And uh, it's interesting because one of the big sort not complaints, but one of the, you know, the draft is a, is a negative process. And I think people forget that sometimes I tell the players all the time. It's you're, you're never better than you are on draft day, but you're never worse than you were the day before the draft. (laughs) And, and it's a negative process. So you have to sort of understand that. But one of the sort of complaints about Haskins was that he had played in a clean pocket all year. So nobody knew how he would do under duress. Right. That's, that's not the player's fault. He played for a good team. Right. But I, I really liked his game. I liked how he scanned the field. I saw a guy who worked progressions, short, intermediate, deep. Uh, I thought he had a good understanding of those things. And to me, that's what really will get a quarterback to develop fast. And I think, you know, in the snaps I saw, there was a big difference to me. And when he first got in, then in, then, it, then he was at the end of the year because he, he does throw with anticipation. And, and I believe he has, uh, he can process what he's seeing. And ultimately that's what, moves you along as a young quarterback it's the it's these spread guys who can't process or they can't work progressions or they don't throw with anticipation because they, they want to see the guy's numbers before they let the ball go those are the guys that develop very slowly and and sometimes are very stilted I, I think he has a very good future but this is a huge offseason for him he's he's got to sort of avoid the lure of I'm going to go hang out with my buddies and really get down to it and break his own game down because, you know, like Drew Locke in Denver, uh, what you did was great coming down the stretch, but people are taking you apart right now and they're going to take you apart until they see you again. So your challenge is going to be to be ready for people taking away what you want to do. And, and, and Jeff, I apologize because I lied. I do have one more question for you. With Jack Del Rio, what kind of corners does he like to get? He he likes guys who can who got the mindset to survive in man, uh, and he will let his corners put his put their hands on people. And I, I think that's you know at least here you know I you know I don't know how he will approach some of these offenses, but uh, you know they they played zone at times and everything, but he he wanted physical guys who were, who were willing to get in there and scrap a little bit. And I think that's ultimately what he likes. Cause he, he liked having uh Roby and Roby got a lot better here with him. And, you know, Chris Harris became a, a pro bowl player while Jack was here. So, I mean, that's, but those guys are, very sort of strong mentally they're forceful players and that's what he wants you know you're going to make mistakes but what happens on the next play so he's going to be looking for sort of those edgy 
confident guys who are willing to line up after a mistake and get after it. Awesome. Jeff, listen, fantastic insight as always. I appreciate you coming on and I know people are going to enjoy, will have enjoyed listening to this. So thanks a lot, Jeff. <laughs> Anytime, John, you're the man. All right, Leggy. After this break, Jason Reed and I will be back to talk about why this is a good time for a new coach to have all sorts of power under Dan Snyder. We also reference a story we recently combined on detailing the culture at Redskins Park. It's no wonder they wanted and needed change. Welcome back. Here's my conversation with Jason Reed. Now I'm joined by my ESPN colleague, Jason Reed, someone I've known forever and respect the hell out of his reporting. And Jason, obviously, you've been tough on the Redskins in the past, or at least the perception is. I view it as somebody who has who does a lot of reporting and isn't afraid to expose what he feels are truths out there. Um, and you know, just curious, like if you can kind of speak to that just a minute before we get into the stuff, because I think sometimes people just assume the guy's a hater. Well, you're not set out to like or hate anybody. You're set out to report. So why don't you just kind of address some of that for one minute before we move forward? Yeah, absolutely, John. I, you know, I, I get that fans often don't like what they perceive to be negative stories. And I get that fans don't like it when they think that reporters are quote-unquote out to get them. But I don't hate the Redskins at all. As a matter of fact, over the years, I've had several good friends who work there. Um, I I look at it just based on what my reporting tells me about what's going on. And, you know, I, I would say that a lot of stories I've written over the years have, have turned out to you know, be, be accurate in terms of situations that were occurring with players and uh, you know, that type of thing. So, no, I don't hate the Redskins at all. I get why fans don't like to see negative stories. But, um, no, I mean, I, I try to base everything on the reporting. And the reality of it is – this has not been a successful organization. I don't know Correct. how you can say it any other way. So moving forward now, how do you view these latest moves by Dan Snyder? Well, Kate, here's the thing. I don't think Snyder had a choice. Uh, you know, there have been times in the, in the past where the fans have been angry, obviously, but this felt different. I, I, you know, you and I just yes. reported a very, a very long piece uh, about where things kind of stood before we hired Rivera. And, uh, you know, I think both of us from reporting and talking to each other as we were doing the reporting, we came away from that with, hey, this feels different, that there is a level of anger here that he's got to do something. And obviously he, he ousted a uh, longtime team president and general manager Bruce Allen. He brought in Ron Rivera, a guy who's about discipline, a two-time AP coach of the year. So, I do think that, that what he has done, I get why he did it. Now we just have to see whether it's going to work. Do you, do you think it has, is there something different about this? Is, do you feel like there's something different about this time? Because part of me thinks that maybe Rivera is taking over. The, if, if you're a Redskins fan, you want to hope that he's taking over at the right time where Snyder realizes that not just change, but a major philosophical change had to take place. Yeah, Cakes, I totally agree with you. You know, it's interesting. I, I tweeted this out the other day that Joe Gibbs, Daniel Snyder reveres Joe Gibbs, and Joe Gibbs wielded an enormous amount of power in, in 2.0 when he came back to the team. Right. Mike Shanahan, up until the end, 
Mike Shanahan had, a, had an amazing amount of power until, you know, basically until the end. But I do believe that Ron Rivera will be the most powerful coach in the history of the Dan Snyder era for this reason. I think Dan finally realizes that if this is not rock bottom, he can't go beyond this. Right, and right. so, so I, I, I truly believe that Rivera has been empowered, not just to, to be the, the face of the football operation. And, and as they were saying yesterday, the press conference, you know, the one voice in the building, Rivera has a mandate to change the culture. And, and remember, even when, when Joe Jackson Gibbs was here for the second time, even when Shanahan was here, it was never about the fact that the culture had to be changed. It was that, oh, well, you know, we want to, we want to win games and we've right. got to make some, some changes to things. But they're all talking now, including Snyder, about the right. culture. So I think, you know, people, fans on, the, uh, on Twitter – we're pushing back when you know I said, "Hey, this is this this is different." I mean, it's it's different in part because the the Redskins have never had a, a coach of color in the modern era. Right. But you know, I mean, who's not an intern coach? But it's bigger than that. This is about Ron Rivera. Will have the the longest leash, however you want to phrase it, to impose his will. I I, I do believe that he's the most powerful coach in the history of the Dan Snyder era. And I think, you know, when you said that, and I, I had looked at it from that standpoint only because Gibbs had so much, but I do, the, the part where I agree with that is that it's the nexus of where Snyder's at in his ownership. And exactly, exactly. Including, and, you know, here's the other thing, Jason, like depending on who becomes, a, at this point, we don't know who the next director of football operations or who the GM is, but Dan's always had a confidant high up in that organization. And he's taking that away. And that's where I feel like this time, will it be different? Maybe if, if there's no one there that he can go out to dinner and just try to funnel his desires through them, that makes it different as well. And in and, and, and case, let me, let me piggyback on that because I totally agree with you on that. See, and, I, and I've really been sitting back and looking at this situation. I mean, ever since we did that, uh, the, the piece that we did, um, seems like it seems like a decade ago now, but <laughs> I've, I, I've just really been thinking about the fact that, okay, what is different now than has ever existed? Well, in, in Gibbs 2.0 and even in Shanahan, the media and fans were talking about the, the, the mistakes, the fact that they didn't have a winning culture, but they right. weren't talking about it. They, right. mean, they kept maintaining, oh, no. You know, and I say they meaning Alan, who was the public face of it. They kept maintaining, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with our culture. And, and, and you know, even when we were doing our piece – we got, you know, we got pushback from from high-ranking people there. Right. That remember, I mean, you know, you had those conversations with high-ranking people who were like, "Well, no, you know, you're going to be wrong about those things." Nah, don't don't think that. They kept believing, or they kept saying, "I don't know, it's not." Good. But there was a shift, and the shift I do believe occurred because you know, when when Dan is sitting in his box and fans are chanting at him, "You got to fire Allen. We're screwed up. The culture is horrible." I think that stuff resonated. And the point you make about about the confidant. There was always a Vinny Serrano. Right. There was always a, a, a Bruce Allen. Like, whoever, Rivera, Rivera can, you know, talk nice all he wants. He's the man, and he knows it. Okay. Right. And, and the reality of it is, whoever he brings in to handle the draft and the pro personnel and the college is going to know that Rivera is the man. So it's not going to be unchallenged. And I think the nexus of 
hitting rock bottom, the fan anger, and 20 years of this, I just think Ron Rivera is the most powerful coach in the history of this franchise under Daniel Snyder. And it is, and I, like I said, I think, I think you're right in that assessment um, just because of where we're at with everything. And do, do you, what, what are your, as Rivera, uh, Rivera as a coach, what are the things that you hear about him and what have, you, what have been your observations from afar over the years about him? Well, we know he's a defensive guy. We know he was a defensive quarter. He was a linebacker with the Chicago Bears. Uh, he's a disciplined guy. Now, you, you hear players talk about him, play for, and they love him. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a player's coach in the sense that if you do the things he wants you to do, he will ride with you and he will have your back. Now, here's the thing. There are, there's going to be some growing pains here because uh, there are a lot of people in that locker room who have not had to deal with this type of coaching philosophy in terms of this guy's this this guy's a a, a hard edged guy in terms of he wants what he wants and you're going to follow it that way. I mean, there's there's not going to be guys on their cell phones in meetings anymore. There's not going to be guys coming into practice, you know, 30 minutes late and just kind of like you know nonchalant. I mean, that those days are over. So right. in terms in terms of who he is, like his philosophy about discipline. And, and you know, the fact that he is going to want to get this thing going quickly. I mean, I, I bought what he said yesterday at the presser that I mean, he's not trying to do some four-year rebuild. And right. if, you, if you're not trying to do a four-year rebuild, you're going to be getting rid of a lot of people. And, and that's, that's and I, you know, it's funny because I address some of this. I have, after this conversation, I'm going to have a few of my own thoughts. That's one of the things I address. The other one is Dwayne Haskins. And I'm curious, I, like I said, I have my own thoughts that I'll share later. But what are your thoughts on what this means for Dwayne Haskins? Well, this can be a blessing for Dwayne Haskins if Dwayne Haskins looks at it that way. And by, and by that, what I mean is, look, I'm going to just say this here because of stuff you and I have talked about and I'm just going to put it out there. Right. Dwayne Haskins, the reality of it is you talk to people in the building and he was not working as hard as he should have early on. Just point right. blank, okay? He, there was a feeling of entitlement. There was a feeling that, that, well, you know, he knows the owner and he's a, he's a first-round draft pick. And a lot of people got down on him. And, and, and the other thing that, that was frustrating for people is he doesn't breathe, he, he doesn't consume it. He doesn't eat, sleep, and breathe wanting to be a great quarterback. And I, we heard that from former players. We heard that from coaches. Now, he did improve as the year went along. You know, after Jay got fired, he did improve. Yep. But here's the thing. But Cakes, here's the thing. He had, we had that picture of him slouched on the bench during that game when, when O'Connell and, and Keenum, I believe, uh, were, were going over plays in that game. They were getting blown out. Right. We, we, we have him taking a selfie with a fan when he's supposed to be on the field in the victory formation. You know, we have him talking to offensive linemen who, and basically him, basically like he's a veteran leader who's proven himself and he's telling them, what can I do to help you? Well, you haven't done what you need to help yourself yet. And, and, and then, then he doesn't show up for Rivera's opening presser. Now, a lot of fans will look at this and say, well, you're nitpicking. Why is that so important? I would have loved for him to have been there yesterday. And I guess he was on the saying. Yeah, I think he's on vacation in fairness to him. Okay. But, but here's my thing. I would have loved for him to have been there. And I would have loved for him to have said, you know what? 
we're probably going to hire a head coach pretty quickly here. Let me delay my vacation to make a statement. Okay, that's what I would have loved. All right, and I, you know, and I just remember, and I know fans are going to listen to this and think that this is I, uh, you know, you're, you're being a jerk. It's not a big deal. I'll never forget Jake Plummer when he was with Shanahan in Denver, and he didn't show up for some off-season stuff, and it incensed Shanahan. And I remember when, you know, Shanahan came to the Redskins and I was talking about it, he's like, because that's the one guy who has to be. He has to show me that other than his family, like, there is nothing more important to him than being great. And I just think that with everything that we saw from Haskins last year, it would have made a really great statement if he had delayed his vacation and stayed here and showed up at that press conference. Now, what I don't know is did he have a conversation with Rivera before he left? Right. Um, you know, did, did, did Rivera say, hey, go on vacation and we'll set up a time when you come back? But I'm just saying, knowing what the great ones do, it would have been impressive, especially coming off the season he's coming off and the questions that are out there about him. Yeah, and like I said, I'm going to address this for people listening in a little bit too, so I don't want to harp too much on the same topics. But I do, you know, I, I think he finished strong and he built on some things. And you're right, he did improve in those areas that we heard from multiple people that he needed to improve on. And I think the key is, and you heard this in the press conference from Rivera, wants him to be a strong leader and does, there are things he's going to expect. And I don't think he's just going to hand him anything either. And I think that's good for any young player, I believe, unless you're so established that like, well, of course it's a no brainer. But I think when you're trying to build something, and if he's trying to build a culture, I think he's going to make sure that um, he wants to see what he wants to see first before he does anything. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and so la- lastly, you know, you, you, are you, I don't want to use, I don't know if I use the word optimistic, pessimist, pessimistic, but do you actually see this big ray of light at the end of the tunnel for Redskins fans with all this stuff? Well, let me put it this way. Joe Jackson Gibbs won three Super Bowls and was in the Hall of Fame and in a four-year period could only get to the playoffs twice and left. Mike Shanahan came here with consecutive Super Bowl titles and made the playoffs one time and ended in a complete disaster. Based on the history of two men who have won championships, I have no reason to believe that this will work. Now, having said that, look... I do believe that Snyder is at a point where he realizes that after 20 years, if he keeps doing things the same way, that the next 20 years will be the same way. And, I, and that, that won't work for him. Right. So I do believe that if he does stay away, or not stay away, but if he allows Rivera to implement what Rivera wants to implement, yeah, potentially they have a chance to be successful. Potentially they have a chance to just, you know, end the chaos in the building, establish a better culture, and, you know, lay a foundation of maybe where they can be a team that, you know, goes 9 and 7, 10 and 6, and, and is, a, is a perennial contender to make the playoffs. Right. I, I, I think that's possible. But if Redskins fans are looking at the bar – of multiple Super Bowls, then I, I don't I don't envision that because and that's hard. Know, to, that's hard to yeah, to, absolutely. I mean, because 
we don't know where this is going yet. I think what I know with this is that they hired a really good coach. And right now, today, that they made the right moves. And I think, you know, we have to see where it goes from here. In fairness to the whole situation, let's see how it plays out. But I do think they made the right moves for now. Oh, and, and, and I do not disagree with that. I, I Look, Ron Rivera is a good football coach. There is no doubt about that. And they have a guy who has who has won, who's gotten to a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Hey, this was a – this was a, with the available information and where things stand, this was a good hire. And I'm going to end it there because my dog is barking in the background. I think he's excited about all these moves too. So, Jason, <laughs> I appreciate you joining me as always. Jason also had an interesting piece in The Undefeated about what the Rivera hire means from a minority perspective. And then Jason and I collaborated on the whole culture story that he's referenced a couple times that it certainly painted a picture of what it had been like for a long time out there. And I'll be curious to see if in a couple years we will, there will be a different narrative. Jason, thank you for coming on. Anytime, buddy. Happy New Year. You too. After this break, I'll share my thoughts on a number of topics, including what this means for quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Okay, now I'm back with a few of my thoughts. I want to wrap this podcast up with a few things here. Number one, it's the Joe Gibbs influence. Yes, he played a key role in helping Rivera get to Washington. It's funny because he truly did this behind the scenes. I had called someone who works closely with Gibbs after Rivera was hired to find out what he knew of Gibbs' possible influence. Considering both were in Charlotte, I figured it may be big. But this person had no lot, no knowledge of what went on. Didn't report any of this because I was. it was only useful if there had been an impact by Gibbs and I couldn't say that there hadn't been. But the reason the person didn't know is because I believe there was a strong desire to keep this quiet. I know this from people involved in, this, in the negotiations. When they want to, the Redskins can keep things quiet and in this instance, they did. Rivera was fired a month ago, yet we didn't hear how serious the sides were until near the end. In reality, it was a done deal before that point, probably within a couple weeks after him getting fired. Um, based on my conversations with multiple people, this is the job he wanted. This was the guy the Redskins wanted. Keep in mind that right before the weekend, or the weekend when Rivera was hired, the names we heard a lot were Marvin Lewis, or there was an Eric Bieniemy. Rivera was mentioned at times too, but not really as a strong front runner. It just shows you that when you want to, you can keep things quiet. Snyder's done it before, with Joe Gibbs in particular. It also helped that Rivera has an agent in Frank Bauer who has been at this a long time, I think it's around 38 years, and doesn't need the ego gratification that comes with, hey, my client is a potential candidate, and then putting out the word so that maybe others get involved and try and, and you boost the salary, etc. All right, next one. Gibbs has had influence before and has told prospective coaches the same thing, that Snyder is good to work for, etc., etc. Now, he had a different experience than everyone else because he entered with not only power but with the gravitas. Um, the owner adored him, and he knew he couldn't mess with the Redskins legend and one of the best coaches of all time. Revere does not have that same level of awe, of course. He's just a good coach that Snyder wanted. I'll bet that I would imagine, I bet, that Snyder didn't pay much attention to him 
before this point, and that's okay. There wasn't much need, but it's why Gibbs's experience was different than others. But this is what Rivera should learn from Gibbs, and this is what he was told um, by Gibbs, how you have to manage Snyder. Marty Schottenheimer was a terrific coach. He did not want to keep Snyder in the loop. It angered and annoyed the owner as well as some of his partners. Rivera is well aware that he must do this. I don't blame Snyder for wanting to be in the loop. It's his damn team. He should be in the loop. Jack Ken Cook was in the loop. He just didn't interject his desires for certain players regardless of fit. But the other difference here for Rivera is that Snyder has been beaten up for a long time now after two decades of mostly losing and after a couple seasons of bitter fans in empty stadiums. You can damn well be certain that he heard those sell the team chants. He heard the stuff that was yelled at him from into the owner's box from fans that were near there. He heard it all. And that's where Rivera gets his power. What you have to hope is that he's coming here at the right time. I guarantee that there are a legion of ex-Redskins coaches who doubt his ability to let the football side make their decisions. I think we need to see who becomes a GM before we really know how this will all work. I've heard a few names, including one ex-Redskins front office member, Morocco Brown, but it's not even certain that he's been contacted yet. I just keep hearing that there's that there's interest there, but I don't know to what degree. There are other names too, just like there were others for the head coach or defensive coordinator job that didn't come close to materializing. So I'm going to hold off and going through a lot of that right now because I think there's still a lot of uncertainty um, and sometimes people just throw things out there. But when, when I know more, and I think the hard part with this one is very fluid, so I'm not going to get into a lot of specifics with that right now. Um, anyways, will it be someone whose job is to serve as a dinner companion for the owner? If not, they have a chance. But what helps Rivera is the depths to which this franchise has sunk. Those who know Snyder well will say he'll probably give Rivera a couple years of leeway and do precisely as he told them he would in those original in those initial meetings. But if Rivera doesn't win, then the old Snyder will be back. But that's the key here. Win and you're good. Next one. This is quite a time for Snyder. He has a chance once more to create a winning franchise. While he clearly hasn't been beloved here, he does have a chance to turn it around. It's simple. Let the football folks make football decisions, stand back, and receive pats on the back for making it work, if it indeed does. Rivera isn't the world's greatest coach. Nobody's going to say that, but he is a good one. So is Jack Del Rio. There are strong football people here who want to win. All coaches do, but some pay more attention to the details of the job than others. Some live it more, and I think the details are and living it are what win in the end. Snyder's a terrific salesman when he's wooing people. The group here he really must woo back are the fans, you guys. He's done the first part well by making a strong hire, strong couple hires. The second part, because let, let me go, I'm going to go back to that for a second. I don't care who your head coach is. If you don't have a strong staff, they're not going to win. That's why Del Rio is so important. The second part here comes in winning. I've always said if he truly wants to win, he won't try to make football decisions. Would he ever hire someone like himself to make those decisions? No, of course not. We all know the history here. He has a chance to write a new chapter for himself. If he doesn't, we'll be back in this spot in four years or so. If he does, you're going to have a lot of fun. Next one. I also thought it was interesting during Rivera's press conference how part of his answers were really messages for the players. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard that he was calling around on some guys or about some guys a few hours after the presser. I think Rivera is locked in on changing the culture. I don't think it was just words. And I think that's why he seems to be doing things such as 
removing the ping pong table and shuffleboard from the locker rooms. Now, the reality is, those don't really contribute to winning or losing. The Saints play ping pong. I know they have Drew Brees. They didn't, but it's not about earning things. It's about the fact that you can do that while you are winning. The Ravens used to play cornhole. They, maybe they still do. The Giants removed their ping pong table board last year. <laughs> I think you can check their record and say it didn't matter. But that's really not the point. Here, there's a perception fueled by fueled in part by some silliness that, that it was a big issue. In reality, the ones who played it were the, were the most were like Tressway, Nick Sumberg. Those guys are really good. Some others joined in. I rarely saw anyone play the shuffleboard. As a reporter in there, I'll appreciate the extra space. But I do. I will say this. When you're coming into a new program, you're going to look for ways that you see that has to change. I'm all for that. That's great. I think I do think this is a, it's a symbolic new era gesture, and that's all good. The real challenge, or excuse me, the real change will come in how Rivera structures his program and the expectations with meetings, etc., that's what's going to affect winning and losing. But I do think this is clear. Rivera wants to know who are the guys who work and don't work. Who are the guys who take the right approach and the ones who don't. When you're in your first season as a head coach and your job is to change the culture, then you can make a big move or two in that regard. That means getting guys who take things seriously, their preparation, their approach to getting to treatment, etc. Um, it also means maybe getting rid of some guys who even if they're talented, who don't do that. It doesn't mean everything will be ultra-serious all the time, but it does mean there is a right approach to take and a wrong one. Rivera made that clear, and those who were there need to pay attention. If you want to set a tone, or anybody watching it, if you want to set a tone, you let the entire locker room know it right away. So I'd use that knowledge as a backdrop to any moves that might get made that, that surprise you. And I'm not saying I don't know what that, I don't, I'm not saying something's going to happen. I'm just using that as a general statement, because that's what happens when new guys comes in. I don't know, again, I don't know what moves that might be, but I do know you can't talk about changing the culture and let the same old, same old be acceptable. Finally, I found it interesting what Rivera said about quarterback Dwayne Haskins, too. He said that Haskins had the potential to be a franchise-type quarterback, but he also wasn't going to commit at this point to him being the starter entering next season. I like that. Haskins made progress at the end of the year, taking the approach he had long wanted him to take with the extra study, etc. He saw that work pay off on the payoff on the field. I like how he finished. And if he takes that same approach in the offseason, it's going to make a big difference for him. I like that Rivera wasn't going to hand him anything, though. Keep, keep, keep guys guessing about what he might do. He wants Haskins to become more of a leader. He's a relatively quiet kid, and I'm not sure if that comes as natural to him as it does for some others. Um, I think there's leadership skills there. I do believe he was improving this area late in the year as he got more comfortable with what he knew and what he wanted. When he did that, he became more confident. And, you, and I even talked to him about this. You could see the confidence in him grow, whether it's in just the way he can, the way he moved in pregame, the way he just, the way he talked about certain things. So it's it's okay to make him to continue to wonder and have to work to maintain that growth and any hold on the job. If he does, both he and the franchise will be rewarded. I'm going to go back to Ohio State with him for a minute. As a Buckeye fan, I had assumed that he was going to win the starting job after J.T. Barrett um, had left. Haskins came in against Michigan in relief, looked great. He looked good in other relief appearances. So to me, it was a no-brainer that he was going to start. So I was surprised when they wouldn't commit to him over Joe Burrow. Now, clearly Burrow has a lot of talent, 
as we've seen this year. But at the time, he was he was third on the depth chart there, partly because of an injury, but also because Haskins seemed to emerge. There seemed to be a big gap between them at that time. But I also knew I wasn't around the program, so I respected what I didn't know. Burrow clearly was good, but I also wondered if some of that wasn't wanting to see where Haskins took his game, and I, by game I mean everything. Um, he took it far because he had to truly compete to win the job. It was good for him then. I think it'll be good for him now. I think it's also important to note that when Jay Gruden was hired, a big reason why was to jumpstart RG3's career. That was a stated goal, and Gruden mentioned how excited he was to work with him. Turns out that really wasn't true, but the perception was he was hired for that reason. But this is what I like about the Rivera hire and what, it said, and what he said about Haskins. Rivera is coming here to invigorate a franchise, not groom a player. There's a huge difference. If Haskins develops well, then the franchise will benefit greatly. And make no mistake, Haskins is still has to be viewed as the future here. He just finished his rookie year, and he finished strong. I don't know why you would view him any, any other way, but nothing's going to be handed to him. And Snyder and Rivera took a big-picture approach in all this. And I'll say this, it's about time. That's it for now. I appreciate Jeff Legwald and Jason Reed joining me. And as always, I appreciate you for listening. Talk to you next time.